Welcome to Off the Record. I'm Paul Hose, and you're going to also hear from my co-host Matt Robeson, produced by WKXL in Concord, New Hampshire, and podcast wherever podcasts are cast in the known universe. We're happy to have you folks with us today and our really special guest, somebody who I know well from my years in Congress, a, a nationally recognized member of the House Judiciary Committee, Representative Stephen Cohen from Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, welcome to Off the Record. Good to be with you, Paul. If you're one of my favorite people in the world, it's nice to be with you anytime, but here in this holiday season, it's even more appropriate at night. Well, we've, we've just been through Hanukkah, and, um, you know, your bio, is, I, when I, I pulled your bio just to, to look at it, and uh, it, it just uh, it amazed me because there were things I didn't know about you because I'd never really pulled your bio before. But, but Representative Cohen, uh, known to his friends as Stevie, not little Stevie, but Stevie, is a fourth-generation Memphisian, Memphian, a grandson of Jewish immigrants from Lithuania and Poland. He and I bonded in Congress over our shared cultural her heritage. His immigrant grandfather owned a newsstand, and he has held a, a number of different political offices in his rise to prominence. A long-term member of the Tennessee State Senate, he began his political career on the Tennessee Constitutional Convention of 1977 at the age of 27. He has a profound and deep abiding love of his district, uh, of uh, barbecue, uh, of John Prine. He and I were backstage and met with John Prine um, years ago in DC when uh, that incredible singer-songwriter uh, did a concert. So Steve has gotten around and he is now a senior member of the Judiciary Committee, a long-term member of the U.S. House at a very extraordinary time. Congratulations on our new president-elect. It's great to have a new president-elect. It's great to be get rid of the old president. It's disgusting that he was ever president, and he will he will uh, be a, a, a stain on the list of presidents forever after. But Joe Biden is a good human being. He is a competent, uh, uh, learned man in government and in human beings, and he will make us proud as he tries to bring our country together, bring us back to the world stage as an our traditional allies who prize democracy and not uh, people who prize uh, authoritarian uh, regimes and actions, which is what Trump is, is, is bonded with. And, uh, uh, and he will see, put the people first. We will see more emphasis on, on human needs, healthcare needs, sustenance, nutrition, housing, uh, secure uh, those, those, those basic uh, 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 issues that, that are the underpinnings of, of, of a just society and trying to make us more fair and, and less uh, uh, less divided. We've had such tremendous wealth divide during the Trump period. It had been building, but Trump took it to a different level. The Trump tax cuts gave the rich so much and the poor got next to nothing. So it's good to have Biden and it's good to have Trump off the away. And, but, and you said it's off the record. I appreciate that. And I just wanted to show you some of the records that I have. 
<laughs> and for those folks who can't see because we're doing radio, Representative oh. Cohen is holding up an Elvis Presley. Uh, uh, it looks like a 33 RPM, beautiful 45. vinyl. It's a 45 of Elvis. Oh, man. And the cover is just incredible. Elvis is in white. Presley is in green. And it's, it's a pristine 45. It's just gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And there's Elvis Presley, King Creole. Steve Scott, he's got the whole thing. He's, he's just holding up one brilliant 45 after. There's Elvis Presley in Heartbreak Hotel. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, hubba dubba, high society. Oh, man, oh, man. You know, Stephen, you are a true Renaissance man of many different eras. No, nothing passes, passes you by. But here, I got an actual question for you. And let me give you something before we go on. As yeah. you mentioned, my grandfather was a newspaper person. Yeah. I will show you a page of our newspaper today, and I'm a news, I have to read my New York Times and my commercial every day. Only in Memphis, only in Memphis, of all places in the world, only in Memphis will the front page headline be Exhibit Explores When Elvis Met Nixon. Ladies and gentlemen. Paper with a big picture only in Memphis. Uh, you know, my promise to you is as soon as this crazy pandemic is done, I am coming to visit you in Memphis. And we're going to spend as much time as necessary for us to hit every juke joint, every reopened bar and barbecue joint there is in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, and, as Paul, and as Paul Simon well sang, we're going to go to Graceland, Graceland, okay. Graceland Tennessee. We're going oh. to <laughs> you got it. So here's the question. Now, I mean, this is about your day job, right? Your, your day job as a U.S. congressman. We, we, uh, uh, we, we got kind of a narrowed majority in the United States House after the last election. The Biden coattails were not as long as people had hoped. There was not a great wave. The Democratic majority in the House shrunk. And with some of the appointments that uh, Joe Biden has made, excellent appointments, some members are going uh, from the Democratic side. And on the Republican side, there were 126 signers on to the insane lawsuit brought by the Texas Attorney General to try to steal the election. With a slim majority and, and looking at the prospects of, we don't know what in the Senate, depending on what happens with the Georgia elections, can Democrats work with people like this? Or do we just write them off as a you know, CYA for them with their base and and underneath there, they're good people. Uh, you know, you can't get to Congress without being a nice, charming kind of guy in a lot of cases. And is, uh, what's, what's going on with these people? And, and how, how are you all going to work with them? Well, we'll have a majority. It's thin. I think we have 222 members. There's one seat, I think, in New York, still up in the air, Claudia Tenney and uh, Brindisi. Uh, that's still being uh, counted the votes and maybe litigated. Uh, but we did lose uh, Cedric Richmond's going to the administration. Uh, we're going to have uh, Deb Holland's going to the administration, Secretary of Interior, so that's a seat in New Mexico, and Marsha Fudge in Ohio. Uh, the three seats we won't have it soon. They'll, they'll be there on the 3rd of J January to get sworn in, and they'll be there to vote for Nancy Pelosi for speaker and to organize. But soon thereafter, and they'll probably be January 6th, the Electoral College could be 
and probably will be challenges brought by uh, boneheaded football coach Tommy Turbeville, uh and, and, and one of his uh, Alabama reps, Mo Brooks. So we'll have to go through that and have a roll call vote on that. We'll need all of our Democrats present. But we, you have to work with them. I mean, they're, they're fairly nice guys. I mean, I, I looked over the 126. I, I tweeted that day that I was embarrassed, and I was embarrassed that they had done st- this and joined that amicus brief. And some of them were attorneys, and some of them were somewhat respected. My colleague at seat, who's uh, butts mine, David Kustoff, had been the U.S. attorney. Uh, uh, he's a smart enough guy. And for him to sign that, I thought was a, a, a Revolting, revolting. It, it certainly flew in the face of his having a law license. And uh, for somebody who has a law license and has been in a government position, U.S. attorney, you should have more uh, uh, respect for your law license and your oath of office, because that was just uh, it was trying to steal the election. And it was to steal, steal democracy uh, to say that Texas could object to the state laws of Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin and try to throw the state laws out. Uh, that's not consistent with the constitution and our federal system and, and states. Uh, that, that's not an issue for state. When the states can bring suits against states in the constitution and they go to the Supreme Court, you're generally thinking of border issues, of water rights and, and things that directly affect the state physically. Never is it kind of an idea of a vote by another state and how that could affect the, the election presidential election. So it was pretty awful. It was disgusting, but you have to work with those people. Most of them are friendly. Most of them are nice enough. They say hello and you can talk to them and you can remove a thorn from their paw, which is what you have to do on occasion. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, but, but they're not going to vote with you. I think as Trump leaves, as Trump, he'll continue to have some spotlight with a television show or a radio show or something, but his influence will diminish and it may be, slow, but it'll diminish. And as it slows, some of the people will be a little bit more rational, but it'll come down to the leadership. And Kevin McCarthy and Steve Scalise have not shown an ability to, to provide independent leadership and cogent leadership. And I think they're going to be just trying to make havoc for, for Joe Biden and havoc for Nancy Pelosi and trying to take the chair every chance they can and trying to challenge the chair. And I think it'll be they'll be basically providing uh, disruptions to the normal processes rather trying to unite the people and bring aid to people that need help with the economic and the, uh, and, and the health uh, crises that we're experiencing. Uh, I don't think they're going to be playing ball with us. And, and in some ways, they're not even playing with a full deck. I mean, they're talking, they still talk about the health, coronavirus being a hoax, some of them. Uh, some of them did, didn't want to wear masks. Louis Gohmert made a big stink about it. And of course, then he got coronavirus. Joe Wilson made a stink about it, puts up a Everybody should be there voting in person and not voting by proxy. Uh, but nevertheless, two days later, he got coronavirus and took that tweet down. Uh, it, 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 you got to hit them over the head. If it doesn't hit them personally, they stay with the with the uh, uh, the hoax theory that Trump's put out. Trump has destroyed the idea of there being a truth, of being a commonality of understanding of what the facts are and bringing people together. It's all about him and cult. And while this is going on, he's grifting the public for close to $300 million, as I understand it. I've heard it up to 350 and these get contributions he's received, mostly from small dollar donors. And he can use that money for himself. He can put it in his, take it for his income. Uh, and, uh, you know, most people would pay taxes on it. 
We know he does not pay taxes because he's very clever with his deductions. And in fact, they snuck in the CARES Act, which we, I tried to work with Lloyd Benson and others to repeal, but we weren't able to because the Senate wouldn't let us a, a, a deduction for uh, real estate losses that goes back before the coronavirus. So he'll have more and so we'll quit more deductions. And so he can take that on income and probably not pay any income taxes on it and take that to pay off his debts that he has on his properties. I mean, he's just a total grifter and he will grift to the last minute. And it reminds me, I think it was, I'm trying to think if it was, uh, I think it was Woody Allen, but it might've been, could have been, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Woody Allen. And he said, when Nixon left the White House, that the Secret Service had to count the China and the silver. They'll have to do the same thing here. He'll be taking everything he can. He's a, he's a thief. He's a petty, well, he's not, he's a big time thief. He's a grand thief. So man, oh of, man. So hey, speaking Matt, of disruption, oh, Matt, Paul, you want to go? Yeah, just let me, before I turn it over to you, I just want to reflect for a moment. When I was a freshman, uh, back with you, Steve, in, in, uh, in the Halcyon 2007 era, we held dinners on a weekly basis with our Republican colleagues. And Kevin McCarthy was at those dinners and he had come in uh, when we came in. And, you know, as I said, uh, charming guy, everybody very nice and charming. And he was not one of the most off the wall of that crew at the time. There were some pretty off the wall people at the time, but he wasn't in the extre extremity. Um, something happened over the ensuing years and something happened when he became uh, leader. Instead of uh, being a moderating force of any kind with the principle to stand up for basic truth, he has apparently drifted or taken himself all the way over into the crazy territory. What happened to Kevin McCarthy in those years? Was it simply falling under the sway of Trump? Or does he think that in order to get reelected, his bread has got to be buttered with the base that goes all the way uh, over to Trump land? Well, it could be either one of those, Paul. But, you know, that's what happens to people that don't have any kind of a psychic anchor. They, they don't really have a, a, a base that they operate from uh, value. And, and if you don't have values and you're only, in, and that's what happens often when people go up the ladder in Congress or in any political group, uh, but particularly to try to become speaker, which is what he will become if probably if the Republicans regain control of Congress, uh, that's a tremendous amount of power. And uh, to get there, you'll do a lot of things that you, you wouldn't make in a perfect world. And it's not a perfect world politics. There's a lot of ego involved. And there's a uh, and to get power, sometimes you have to sacrifice things. But to sacrifice your whole your conscience and your and your values, which is what apparently Kevin McCarthy has done, is is not uh, uh, pretty. It's not attractive, and it, and it shouldn't happen. But it does. Didn't happen with John Boehner. John Boehner was pretty much John Boehner. Nancy Pelosi is Nancy Pelosi. Uh, <coughs> Kevin McCarthy has changed. So, Congressman, you were referring before to the kind of slim majority the Democrats are going to have in the upcoming Congress. Have you started to talk at all as a caucus about some of the challenges of managing that kind of a razor thin? We're talking about just a handful of members. Uh, if all of the nominations from uh, President-elect Biden go through, uh, you could for 
uh, the foreseeable future for months be down to, you know, uh, really just you could count on one hand uh, the margin. So have, have you started talking as a Congress about how to navigate that kind of a dynamic of a, of a super thin majority and how to hold things together against, as you, you know, said, the kinds of disruptions that are likely to be coming from the Republican side? Well, I don't, we haven't had a real discussion right now. We've been so involved with trying to get a CARES bill passed, which we will do today. But we, we, we passed a, the HEROES Act back in the summer, and it's been sitting because McConnell Scrooge, the Scrooge of the United States government, has not wanted to get this done. And the Republicans lie so much. I saw a statement from uh, John Cornyn of Texas who said of the Mnuchin offered a $1.8 billion deal in September the Democrats and Nancy Pelosi didn't take it. And now they're selling for a $950 billion deal. Well, Mnuchin might have offered it, but McConnell never said he was for it. McConnell was always for 500 or less of $100 billion. So, I mean, that's just, they, they just continually lie. It's unbelievable. Uh, we will lose those three seats when they, if they get, when they get confirmed. Uh, a senator doesn't have to be confirmed. He's got an administrative. The other two will have to be confirmed. And, uh, in Ohio, I don't know how quickly the governor will call the election. Everybody in the House is elected. Nobody, the House is the people's house and every member of the House has been elected. Nobody gets appointed to fill an interim. So it'll, it'll depend on when the governor calls the election and the election laws, when we can have a replacement. In Ohio, I feel confident we'll have a Democrat. In, in Louisiana, probably, but the last time we had a special down there, we lost, they, they put a Vietnamese fellow up and a lot of people didn't show up at the the special African-Americans in particular, <coughs> whose numbers have since been decimated by Katrina. And uh, <coughs> we lost that seat. Uh, uh, that seat would be called earlier. There's a Democratic governor in Louisiana, and there's a Democratic governor uh, in New Mexico. So that would probably be called soon, too. Yeah, we haven't really discussed what's going to happen because we've been concerned about getting this the, the, the omnibus bill passed, which is the, the budget through September of, of next year, and getting the coronavirus bill passed. I did bring up on our caucus call last night, we had a caucus call and you don't know, I think Nancy said 150 people were on it at one point. Uh, theoretically, we should have had 222 people on it. Uh, sometimes, but the calls are informative. Uh, I, I took it as my purpose and that's often what I will do to inject what I think is some truth and some, and some higher focus into the caucus calls and I just said, I said, you know, I want this may be our last caucus call for a while until we come back January 3rd to elect the speaker and January 6th for the Electoral College. But let me tell you, the Republicans are doing right now. They are not concerned about the details of these bills. They're not trying to pass them. They are planning to mess with us and our election of a speaker on January 3rd and to mess with our election in the Electoral College of Joe Biden on January 6th. They're going to do everything they can to, to make discord and disrupt those proceedings and we need to stay together and nobody needs to say anything about Nancy Pelosi she has done a phenomenal job she has worked day and night she's gone to long hours she works late she gets up early she did a brilliant job of getting the omnibus passed with a lot of democratic priorities and funding for people issue additional nutrition et cetera et cetera uh and did a great job getting the uh finally getting the, 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 the coronavirus relief bill passed. We need to support her and anybody who says anything about her is doing a disservice to the caucus and to the country.
because the Republicans are going to do that and we don't need to do it. And we all need to support Nancy. He is our leader. She is our strength. And we need to be behind her to stay together. And we're going to have a very narrow margin. The sad thing is there's a group out there that have suggested that fit that, and it would only be about six or seven or eight people could in essence try to blackmail Speaker Pelosi and tell her, we're not going to vote for you for Speaker uh, unless you promise to bring Medicare for all, healthcare for all, to the floor. I'm a supporter of healthcare for all, always have been and will be. But that's not the way to get it done. To blackmail the Speaker to lend aid and, and aid and abet the Republicans' efforts to, to, to deny her the speakership and to embarrass her and make it a bit soiled at the beginning anyway, uh, is, is, is not right. And politically, the reality is you get a vote. What good is a vote unless you can pass it? And without Nancy Pelosi behind it, nothing's going to pass because Nancy knows how to count the votes. Nancy knows who the favors are owed to, what people need. She takes care of people. She gets the votes. I was the, one of the first people to come out and call for the impeachment of President Trump. Uh, I've called for it regularly. I criticized him regularly. I did not go to his state his inauguration, did not go to a state of the union, considered like John Lewis, uh, my friend and, and, and colleague, uh, we got into good trouble. And we tried to say the president was an illegitimate president, which he was. And, uh, but I couldn't get impeachment through the committee and I couldn't get impeachment to a vote of the floor because I didn't have that strength to do it. I had, I think I ended up I don't have any sponsors, but I got some, I maybe got 35 sponsors on it. That we felt that was good and it was good, but it was nowhere near the, what you needed to pass it. When Nancy Pelosi decided to do impeachment, she got the votes and she put it together. You're not going to get health care for all without Nancy Pelosi getting behind it. And if you get it to a vote because you blackmail her, forget about the, her getting, putting her, her, her work to pass it. So it'd be a pyrrhic victory anyway. We need to work together. And there are people trying to get progressives to peel off. They are, and I'm a progressive, and I'm liberal, and I'm a change agent, but a lot of the people who are change agents and progressives and liberals are losing sight of the big picture, which is keeping the House, getting some things done, knowing the change is evolutionary, not revolutionary, knowing there's a Senate that might have a razor-thin margin or may have a Republican majority, uh, and, and it'd be difficult to get even through there, too, and that normally the Democrats lose the, the president's party loses votes in the House in the midterm election after his first election. And if we lose many votes, the Republicans are going to have the, the speakership and they will have the committee chairs and they will set the agenda and health care for all will be way out the window. So we need to be real. I brought it to the fore. I made an impassioned speech to the caucus to support Pelosi, not to get, go off with this tangents and who knows what will happen. But, you know, the squad, and a lot of it's the squad and they're, uh, have a good following outside of the Congress. They've got a lot of Twitter followers. They've got a lot of social media followers. They've got a lot of followers, young people, millennials that want change. And I understand that. And I support the new green deal and the healthcare for all and all of that stuff. And as I've told them on congressional progressive calls, I've supported those things and voted for them since before they were born. But I also understand practical politics that we want to keep the House as Democratic or, or Biden will not be able to get anything done. We're talking to Representative Stephen Cohen of Memphis, Tennessee, here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson. We'll be back after this. 
We're back. It's Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes here on WKXL podcast all over the known universe. We're talking with our very special guest, and we're honored to have Representative Stephen Cohen of Memphis, Tennessee. We have been talking about what's going on in the U.S. House, what's going on with the Republicans and the president. We're talking a little bit about Elvis Presley because Representative Stephen Cohen, among other things, has a complete collection of pristine Elvis Presley 45s in their original jackets, ladies and gentlemen, which for those of you who grew up on vinyl, for those of you who understand the importance of the beautiful pristine cover and the impeccable condition of those 45s, it's a beautiful sight to behold. The only thing that would be better would be to be here in Elvis Presley in Memphis in a barbecue joint which unfortunately at the moment we can't do. But we're gonna, I promise, we are going to Memphis. You know, Steve, Representative Congressman Cohen, I gotta, I, I've worked with a with a with a great artist for a long time now. Filling Pego. In, well, Pego, yeah, but another fellow named Frank Barter, who's got a uh, a, a, a recording of a tune that I am going to send you an MP3 of when we get off the air. It's called First Time to Memphis about his visit to Graceland and the awe and wonder he experienced as a rock and roller uh, being in the with the spirit of the king. And, you know, to me, you are one of the chief inheritors of that spirit because man i'll tell you when you ride around dc in the great golden ghost that car that is longer than a battleship wider than a space shuttle and you pull up there to the u.s house in that car you know that the king has arrived so we're glad to have you be able to have a little humorous time here in in a very in a very serious business but oh. i got yeah I took my buddy Warren Zevon, uh -huh. great old singer-songwriter to Graceland, and he did a couple of songs about Graceland, uh, and songs with Graceland in them. One season was Graceland mentioned, and another where he talked about uh, uh, hip shaking, uh, hip shaking uh, singer and gold gold uh, uh, Lemay, uh, where he earned his regal sobriquet, et cetera, et cetera. It was about Elvis. But I took him to Graceland, and when we got in the uh, the uh, television room that has the three monkeys up there and the three televisions, he called his co-writer Jorge Calderon, who he wrote that uh, song about the, the, the Elvis hip, hip shaking uh, rocker. Uh, he said, "Jorge, you'll never believe where I am. I'm in the television room with the three monkeys." And he mentioned the porcelain monkeys in the song, the porcelain monkeys. He said, "You won't believe it." And then we went outside and we got to where Elvis had a little shooting range and it was a, a place where he could shoot a gun at, at a pistol and the, the target was only maybe 10 feet away. And, and Warren just said, God, can you believe shooting a Glock on Delauded? <laughs> and that's what Elvis did. And that's what Warren got off on. It was a fun, it was great going to the Graceland with Warren. Oh, man. You know, politics is one thing, but Elvis Presley, Warren Zevon, John Prine, a life in music in uh, Memphis is uh, a whole other thing. That's true. But so so here's a here's a question delving deep into the insanity of mar modern politics. What do you make of the reports 
of the White House meetings, Trump meeting with uh, crazy Sidney Powell, trying to get her appointed as special counsel on election fraud, and even Rudy Giuliani trying to shoot down that idea. What is Trump up to in his bunker? What, what's going on there? He, he's pretty strong. He's, he's always, he's, he's got a, 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 a problem mentally as a narcissist and always has. And he doesn't deal with the truth. And he's an he's a inveterate uh, a prevaricator. And uh, he's just in total uh, depression because of this defeat, which he will not accept. And his cousin, uh, Mary Trump, has made it clear. I guess it's his niece, Mary Trump, has, has said how he will not ever accept defeat. And he just can't deal with that because a narcissist can't. She's a, a licensed and, and respected psychologist. Uh, and she's got a good understanding of the, the, the monster that is within the, the, the psyche of, of Donald Trump. Uh, I've been afraid of that type of meeting for a long time. And I put it out on my Twitter feed way back in November that we still had X amount of days to go before the term ended. And we could expect chaos and, 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 and concern every day that goes on. And, and, and I've seen there was always speculation that Trump would try to turn some uh, delegations that went for Joe Biden, uh, electoral delegations in red states and try to turn them uh, in the electoral college vote in January uh, to different, uh, to Trump de delegates and to challenge the, 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 the those delegates on the floor. Uh, he's not gonna be successful with it, but he's gonna try to do it. And then with Flynn coming out about two or three weeks ago and saying that there was an idea of calling uh, martial law uh, and, 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 and having a new election in the, in the I think, of four states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and uh, he, he mentioned four. I guess there would have been, wouldn't have they won Ohio, so Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Pennsylvania, and well, I don't know, whatever they were. And uh, it scared me, and I thought when Flynn did it, I thought he probably did it with the blessings of Trump, and he was floating the idea to just to get it out there, which sometimes you do to soften up the crowd declare martial law. Flynn was in the meeting about declaring martial law and having Sydney, Sydney Pollack or whatever her name is, she is off the wall. She's the one that said Hugo Chavez had to do with the Dominion voting machine. He's been dead for what, six years, seven years. And, uh, and of course, Dominion is going to bring a lawsuit against her. She'll change her tune pretty quickly because they have no connection to those, uh, to Chavez or to Maduro or to Castro or, or to Beelzebub. She threw them all in the, in the, in the kitchen sink and George Soros and, and all of them threw in there. It's just some figment of her imagination and appealing to the Trump base. But uh, uh, it was a scary meeting and you don't know what Trump would do. Trump might do anything. He might declare martial law. And Flynn, is, Flynn was never a stable influence person to be the national security advisor to start with. One of my friends uh, was a counterterrorism, uh, counterintelligence uh, a specialist uh, in a position that had to be approved by the Senate. So it's a high level counterintelligence position. And he told me early on uh, uh, that he, the people in the military that he was served with all felt that Flynn was off, is off kilter and that he should not be close to any of that type of material. And yet he was made the national security. And of course, immediately went to to the Russian ambassador uh, and gave him information and, and, and was working with the Turks to try to get the Gulen 
in Pennsylvania and turn him over to the Turks in, in Istanbul, where he'd have been killed for, a, for a many millions of dollars, he and his son. So it was unbelievable. But Flynn was in on it. Sidney Powell's in on it. Giuliani, I, I guess it was Giuliani. I heard it was Cipollone and Mark Meadows who said this meeting has gone too far. We've got to end it. I don't know about Giuliani. But I heard today Bill Barr uh, in a press conference say that uh, he stands by the fact that there was no uh, uh, systematic uh, widespread fraud in the election. He stood by his feeling that uh, Russia was behind the hacks uh, that Pompeo said they were behind and Trump said it could have been China. He stood by his statement that, uh, uh, that, the, that there should not be a special prosecutor for, for Hunter Biden because the prosecution has been going on for a while and it's been going on fine. There's no need for a special prosecutor. When Bill Barr, in what is probably his last press conference, because his, his resignation is effective on Wednesday, splits with the president on those issues, and he's been the president's loyal lapdog for everything he's been in and subverted the Constitution and the laws for Trump and just giving a false picture of the Mueller report way in advance and redacting much of the Mueller report and sending troops into a lawful assembly in uh, Lafayette Square for the president to be able to walk through and hold his Bible upside down in front of St. John's Episcopal uh, as a political stunt and for him to agree that there was a, a fraud in, 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 in uh, mail-in voting, uh, uh, which everything he said on Wolf Blitzer's show was wrong. He had the wrong facts and the wrong data. For him to totally turn against Trump at this point shows how off-balance Trump is how even a guy like Bill Barr, who was his lapdog, can't take it anymore. And he's gone into even a further dimension. And uh, I wish I could do a Rod Serling for you, but we've gone into the twilight zone. You know, Congressman, that's exactly where I wanted to go. I, I think that Bill Barr press conference really highlights something that's been really on full display over the last four years, the Trump administration, which is how much of what happens in our country and what doesn't happen in our country is governed not by laws, but by norms, by the expectations of the things that are done and not done in Washington, in power, in the federal government. And you occupy a really important strategic position in the U.S. Congress. You are, now this is a technical thing, you are the chairman of the subcommittee on the Constitution, civil rights, and civil liberties, but it really means that you are the point person for Democrats in the U.S. Congress and holding the majority. You are the point person in the House of Representatives for trying to look at some of the guardrails that are within our system to try to prevent the kinds of abuses, the kinds of norm-breaking that we've seen over the last four years going forward in a future administration. Have you and your staff started to look ahead at what you might wanna do in this next session of Congress to take a full view of all of the norm breaking and law breaking that's happened over the last four years and see what you might want to do in terms of some, some laws and guardrails going forward to try to prevent a redux of this kind of thing ever again? Well, first, let me say, I, I pride myself in my chairmanship of that committee, the Constitution, Civil Liberties, and Civil Rights. And uh, <clears throat> I'm always cognizant of that. And that's why I brought impeachment charges against Trump, an impeachment resolution. And I brought an impeachment resolution against Bill Barr because I thought it was necessary. And I knew that Speaker Pelosi wasn't particularly for either one, but I needed to do it. And I, and I did, and I will continue to. We will be bringing on day one a pardon power amendment because he's going to be issuing pardons that are going to make Mark Rich and uh, 
And Bill Clinton's brother's pardon looked like uh, something that uh, came down on Mount Sinai as the 11th and 12th commandments. Uh, it's going to be just the, the, the worst pardon avalanche of, 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 of hobos, thieves, and, and, and crooks, whatever they were, uh, that you could ever imagine. And, uh, and so we're going to have a pardon a resolution that will say, the Constitutional Amendment, you can't self-pardon, you can't pardon members of your family. And, and we, what we have now, which we put into the last two Congresses, is that you couldn't pardon members of the administration or part members of the, uh, 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 your, your campaign team that were salaried. We might, instead of going specifically to people, we might go to a, an idea and say you can't do pardons that have a, 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 a criminal or a uh, suspect uh, intent. And, uh, and we've got to find a way to, to, to clarify that, refine it, so that, because it ended up in court, I guess, when that would occur. But we want to do that. We're also going to bring in a, a, a resolution, which we've had in the last two Congresses, to repeal the Electoral College, which denies the majority of people the, the, the power to elect a president. And that will go on in the future, unfortunately. Uh, there are a lot of other areas we want to pass a voting, the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act, uh, which unfortunately the Supreme Court said there wasn't a basis for our last passage that was about 2005. So, or 2000, might have been 2007, whatever it was. But we need to, uh, uh, the passage was 2005 and the Supreme Court ruling in Shelby County versus Holder was in, in later on after two, maybe 2009. But we need to pass that Voting Rights Act. There's lots of things we need to do. Speaker Pelosi's anticipated this, and she has a bill that she's going to put up and want to pass in the first few days called the Democracy Act, which is going to have a, lo a lot of areas that we discussed there, protections against emoluments uh, violations, protections against self-dealing, protections against the White House, the Hatch Act uh, uh, provisions, and, and provisions against using the White House for political purposes, government buildings, and 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 enforcement of subpoenas so that the House can do proper uh, oversight and that the administration can't just put them into court and dodge them forever. But all that will be dealt with early on as remedial legislation needs to occur. We've seen so many abuses, norms and the laws both, and they both need to be addressed and the norms need to be put into statute. And we need to have uh, uh, some uh, means of, of, of enforcing those because right now the, the administration enforces it when you get a president who has no concern for the law and he just hires and gets an attorney general who follows him around uh, like Barr did until yesterday or today, uh, you got a real problem. Got a real problem. So, um, you know, speaking of uh, the Justice Department, uh, we're going to have a, a new attorney general, a new uh, United States attorney. Um, uh, who hopefully, and I believe, will represent the people and not the president in, under the Biden administration. And you have a president who uh, ran on and who is a healer. He wants to bring people back together. Now, the question that I, I've been struggling with, uh, and we've been discussing with various guests is how aggressively should the House and the new DOG investigate what happened in the Trump administration and Trump himself? Um, should there be prosecutions? Uh, on the one hand, upholding the rule of law is critical because we're a government of laws, not of men. We've got to un uphold the law. On the other hand, and, and Lord knows 
We don't know half of what Trump did. Well, we may we may find it out. Uh, my old committee, the Reform and Government Oversight Committee, uh, probably is going to find out the other half of of uh, of what Trump did. Who knows what we're going to find out about but Trump and Russia and why every time Putin uh, raises his finger, Trump says, "Let me uh, uh, let me go twirl on it." But but we don't want to re- reinforce the idea of using the judicial system to go after political opponents uh, because. That's what Republicans would love. Look at those, uh, look at those awful Democrats just trying to trying to seek revenge. Um, what what's what's the way out of the box of the Scylla and Charybdis of upholding the law and uh, and then looking like we're trying to take revenge on political opponents? I'm not sure what the the, the, the solution is. I'm of the opinion that we need to uphold the rule of law and not let anybody get away with the things Trump's gotten away with, that we need to have like a truth and reconciliation commission to look into things. And, and I'm not saying it's you know good for the goose is good for the gander and you respond to what they do. But look, here's Trump trying to have a special counsel appointed to look into the election of, of 2020. And, and the president appointed special counsel. Biden couldn't fire that special counsel except for certain reasons to look into the election of 2020 that everybody in this administration, from his cyber people to his attorney general, uh, has said is a fine and good election, and all these Republicans in Georgia and everywhere, and he wants to look into it. Invest, and he also wants a special counsel for Hunter Biden. I mean, he, he knows no bounds. And I don't think he should be the, 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 the form or the, the, the basis of which we make a judgment, but I think the rule of law should be the basis. And, and it would be... We will find out so much that he's done. And his pardons, I understand there's one thought is he's going to pardon every single person at a certain level in his administration and his White House so that they can't be uh, questioned and possibly indicted for fear that they would turn over to the state for state's evidence against Trump and give information. So he's going to pardon them all. Of course, that means they can't use the Fifth Amendment either if they're questioned. Uh, But he's looking at the idea of them flipping if he's so concerned about flipping, he did a lot wrong. We know he did. So I think we need to pursue it. This has been the most lawless administration in the history of our country. And I don't think we could, there's no way that we can let it go. Uh, and, and of course, New York State's going to go after him. That's not the Southern District of New York, but the Southern District of New York should go after him. Uh, New York State should go after him on taxes, on fraud. He's in the Southern District of New York. He is. Uh, the unindicted co-conspirator, he's, uh, uh, what do they call it, number one. Uh, and, and he conspired with Michael Cohen to pay off and, and, and get around the campaign finance laws and pay off the, 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 the uh, Kathy McDougal, the Playboy Playmate, and the, uh, and the stripper, uh, Blaze Star, not Blaze Star, what was, what's the new stripper's name? Stormy Daniels. Stormy Daniels, the Blaze Star of this administration. And, and he, they paid him off and did lie about it so to fi- avoid the campaign finance, in which case they'd have paid him, they, they, they'd have lost the election if that news would have come out. So, uh, yeah, yeah, let me read you something I've got here. This is breaking news. Find it. Let I me know. just tell you, Congressman, we're going to yeah. have, we have to stop in about half a minute. We got a short fuse. All right. Well, I, I got an email today from some miscreant in my district saying, uh, he wants to come and see me on January the 6th when the Electoral College is voted on and look me in the eye and shake my hand 
when I vote to overturn the election and vote for Trump, and he marked as his area of interest, guns. <laughs> Man, that's what you are. This is, we've been, this is off the record with Matt Robeson, Paul Hodes. We have been talking with my best friend from the United States Congress, Representative Steve Cohen of Memphis, Tennessee, uh, a senior member of the House Judiciary Committee. We're talking about Trump's deeds and misdeeds. Uh, Representative Cohen, Congressman, my friend Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you always, Paul. You're my, one of my favorite people in the world. I miss you greatly. We had good times. You were a great representative. You'd have been a great state senator. And, and you're a great singer and you're a great humanitarian and a great chicken cooker. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Here's to more roast chicken on Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week.